Just two weeks after the end of the Six Nations, a chance for Wales to bounce back in the Autumn Nations Cup in this week's Welsh Rugby Union podcast. from and about the new interim group chief executive of the Welsh Rugby Union, Steve Phillips. We'll hear from Wales coach Wayne Pivak later to explain his selection against Ireland as well as what it's like to be treated as a protégé by Alan Wynne-Jones, no less. That's Blues flanker Shane Lewis-Hughes, who won his first cap against Scotland. But first, let's find out much more about Steve Phillips, the man in charge of the Welsh Rugby Union. This interview was conducted before Rob Butcher became chairman of the WIU this week. We started by asking Steve Phillips what it's like moving up from Chief Finance Officer to the top job in these strange times. It's very challenging. I think it's helped by the fact that coming into my appointment that I was already in the WIU, so I was certainly across the the challenges. The other challenges move day by day, and it's a very interesting time for us all, frankly, in Wales and certainly in Welsh rugby. You've been in your role with the WIU since 2007. Since then, we've seen a reduction of debt, a rise in turnover. So for you, you must have been very pleased at how it was going. And then obviously this pandemic, like every other industry, is just absolutely kind of smashed that altogether. Yeah, it does absolutely feel like that. So now when I first started, I think we were probably carrying too much debt. So, you know, we had a conservative effort to get that down, mainly because of trying to get this of the first burden was, you know, inhibiting, you know, distributions of the games. I think we did a sort of sensible job there aided by the fact that turnover went up with the sole aim of getting more investment back into the games. I think we've been a fair fist of that, but it, it does feel like groundhog day at the moment that uh, I'm back where I was, you know, having to sort of take on the debt to get us through this with all the consequential stuff that comes with that. So, yeah, it, 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 it does feel like 30 years ago a bit, yeah. Do you feel that it has gone almost back a decade into, into the position where Welsh rugby was maybe when you started? There's a risk of that. I think the, the, probably the fundamental difference is, you know, when I first started, I think there was certainly something called certainty at the time. We knew where we wanted to go and we had a plan to get there. The problem we've got now is we know the problem. And as I think we know where I want to go, there's another speed bump put in the road. The obvious one being Six Nations crowd. So we plan for a lot of this modelling and what have you. But the lack of crowd in Six Nations is going to be a bit of a blow. You came in with a £50 million debt and, and turnover gone up and the debt had come way down. As you say, it's got almost Groundhog Day, but having gone through that process once, does that give you a bit more confidence about where Welsh rugby is and the ability in normal times to withstand whatever position you're left in by this? I think the lessons learnt will definitely help me, but you are dealing with a different problem. So when I sort of rocked up like in 2007, I was probably managing something that had been around since 99. So I had opportunities that I could exploit. So whilst I'd be massively helped by, you know, what I've been through before and including TBI experiences, it, it does hinge on your back to the uncertainty of the crowds and social gatherings and so forth. So if we could get, which of course is the very most difficult question, you know, to answer at the moment, if we could have some certainty on what the future holds and when and etc etc you know then what the problem is you're trying to fix so until you get some sort of certainty around that you are just being very agile managing the short-term risks as opposed to the long-term risks where does the line get drawn it's hard at this stage to imagine a seventy-four thousand crowd at the principality stadium It'd be great if it could happen for the six nations but where does that line get drawn do you think what are the wiu pushing for in terms of 
Could it be 20,000? Could it be 40? Could it be 50,000? Have you got plans in place for what you think you could maybe get over the line? Well, I think I answer that in a different way. You know, there was a recognition in the autumn that we couldn't play in the Fitzpatrick Stadium. You know, and I think we've shared with you before that we had some plans, you know, to play, you know, in London to generate crowds for this very reason. And then you know, we ran various iterations of, was it a two-metre rule? Was it a one-metre rule? One of the stages that we were exploring was, you know, Tottenham Hotspur. And I think we've got ourselves to a place where we could have had 20,000 people but of course, then, you know, the pandemic kicked in. We were not able to have test events, so it fell away, really, which is why we announced that all our games now will be a part of Scarlet. But we've run various iterations that we have to comply with what the rules are. So it will hinge on, is it two metres, is it one metre? And I think even at two metres, the last time I looked at this, I think we, we could get to something like 25,000, 35,000 people, which, of course, is a big thing. Leaving aside the financials of it, a bit, you know, a lot of people forget is, is the atmosphere. It's not only the crowd brings out the best in the players, the players bring out the best in the crowds. And having been, you know, now to the surreal experience of the match in Paris, or having pretty much the start de France all to myself on the upper deck, it was weird, as it was last week in Parker Scarlet. So I think, you know, for the game to work, they go together, we'd be more than happy complain with the legislation if we could get 25 35 000, you know but the key thing here it has to be it has to be safe is weird is because of no crowds you can hear everything from the pitch which was another experience i've never had before i was standing the fact that i was quite way back you could hear the ref shouting at the players the players shouting at themselves in, you know between the teams and indeed at each other which was another one-off experience for me Let's learn a bit about you, because not many people will know who you are. Obviously, you've been part of the WRU for a long time as, and obviously been in that role as finance director. But who are you and what makes you tick and why are you so excited for this role? Short version of that then. So I grew up in a small village called Garnet, which is just outside Amherst. Everybody was rugby mad, everybody wanted to play for Wales and you know, all the things that kids do at that age. So I played rugby as soon as it was available to be played. The first competitive game was, you know, so we played the, yeah, the local school. It's the first time I ever been given a jersey. So you know, we were red and they were white. To take away all the symbolism of that, as you will. I then went to Amavali Comprehensive School. Played rugby throughout that. Big culture shift for me. So I was, um, my parents packed my bags and sent me off to Imperial College in London when I was 18. So I moved from Garnet to Kensington. And I'm still not convinced that I ever got over the culture shift of it all. But good experience. I played rugby in London. I had a really good rugby times, rugby tour to Italy, all the things with students, you know. I continued to play with Army United, what I started playing for just before I went to, to college. So I played rugby since I was a very young age. And a lot of my friends would say, carry on playing with too long. We were kind of past it, but I wasn't going to give up. So when I finished in London, I trained with KPMG as a, as a chartered accountant. I was very lucky then to um, start with TBI PLC, the big airport operator, joined the WIU in 2007. Rugby does run through my blood. So, you know, for example, I was one of those like really sad people last week when I managed to actually watch four games of rugby on the same day, three of them from the couch. And of course, I was fortunate to go to the Scotland game, disappointing result. And the panic then was getting back to the couch to watch England and, and Italy. But yeah, 
I do like my rugby. When you were back in your playing days, were you Shane Williams's half-back partner? How did that work? <laughs> well, the answer was no. But uh, yes, yeah, so when I was coming to the end of my career, this little kid turned up who was called Shane Williams. Very quickly emerged that um, he was going to be something special. So I did play a season with him. As you'd expect us to do, the sort of general philosophy of future rugby was get the ball to your best player as quickly as possible. So therefore the answer was Shane Williams from half. I was probably playing more centre at the time, couldn't keep up with him, to be honest, to be honest. so I'd let him do off and do his wandering things. And the skill set then was sort of keep ahead of him. So when he was doing his weaving stuff, I would run up the middle of the field and then hope then for a scoring pass of him because I had nothing much else to contribute. So you can't claim to have made him into the player he became? Well, if I tried to, I think he'd deny it, but you know, that's probably not the point. The interim role, it was done for both parts, your sake and also new chairman. Is that unsettling in some respect that you can't look too far ahead? Well, it's just you make the role of it, what you want to it. So, you know, the interim position was a, was a mutual position adopted. So, you know, it gives me the opportunity to try the role. Do I want it? Do I like it? You know, all those sort of things. And plus, more importantly, it gives the WIU the chance to determine whether they want to give the role to me. So I'm very comfortable with it. It's my style not to make a decision because I'm interim. So I wouldn't sort of shy away from that stuff. I'm always trying to, in my view, what I think is the best of what should be. And I won't really be over-influenced by where I'm interim or not. You know, the interim, it is what it is. Everybody signed up to it on the same basis, including me, and kind of move on. As the chief exec of the WIU, there are so many different stakeholders on so many different levels. Got the board, you've got the regions, you've got people wearing daffodil hats in the stadium. How do you balance trying to please everyone? Because I'm, I imagine it's a very, very difficult job. One of the biggest roles of this is stakeholder management. I've come into remote, you know, my eyes wide open, that notwithstanding I think I'm trying and making the best decisions, I also recognise I'm not going to please everybody. The stakeholder base is, is widely, you know, it ranges from having to speak to UK government, Welsh government, even what we are to Wales, fundamentally important. Executive board, I have the WIO board to deal with. Then, you know, we have regional colleagues. We've then got Six Nations colleagues. We've then got World Rugby. And you know, on and on it goes. And as you say, to the hyperactive fan, who wears the daffodils with the painted face? You know, you've got to, they're all part of the mix. Coming in probably the most unprecedented circumstances in which a CEO could start a position. So what has kind of been your short-term priority? I haven't been caught out with new problems. We've had previous problems manifesting themselves into different shapes. Apart from the threat then, if you like, of no crowd and six nations, we will probably across all the issues, working closely with other people. So we're very tight in the Six Nations group, as you'd expect us to be. We're relatively tight, you know, at regional level, because again, because we have to be. You know, we're a very small country, so it would be mad of us not to align when all regional rugby, if you like, and international rugby is played within a human corridor. Are you terrified of the consequence if this carries on the way it does? I don't think I'm terrified. I'm concerned. You know, we're acutely aware of the problems. I think I, I've announced this last week or week before that, you know, if we go to the ranges, if we go from full houses, which we would normally expect with England and Ireland, to no crowds, you're talking ballpark of losing something like 13.5 million. So it's definitely front of mind for me. And, you know, I do spend a lot of time, it's regular dialogue with, you know, Welsh government who have been massively supportive. You know, they clearly recognise what Welsh rugby is to Wales. There's a UK government aspect to this. 
it's not just us, of course. You know, the LFU have the same problems, the SIU have the same problems. I'm just picking those two for the UK. We've all got the sort of identical issues, sometimes of you know, varying scale, but the core issue is the same. So, you know, we are liaising with DCMS. There's a much wider piece here to any form of business that cannot have crowds. You know, we're with them all the time, you know, working with them and seeking the relevant permissions. We've had instances before where community rugby, albeit at a tag and touch level, has opened up, and then, you know, certain local authorities locked down. Now, the way we just react to that and work with, you know, Welsh Government to get everybody out as soon as we can. So I think there would be a general recognition that Welsh Government do know what we are to Wales, you know, particularly at the community level, which, of course, is the fear here. To date, we can probably ask them to do any more for us. But the new challenge, which looks, you know, increasingly likely now, is the crowd issue. If we end up with no crowds, the difficult part of this is the WIU could meander its way through the problem. But it's the real question, at what cost? Because if we don't get over 13.5 billion or a part thereof, you know, the real awkward question is then, into which aspect of Welsh rugby do the WIU not reinvest? That's where the damage is. So, you know, if, if we ended up in a place with no crowds, no governmental support, we'll be forced to look at the community space, which is exactly the last place where I want to go. We were partly anticipating partial crowds because that was probably a sensible assumption at the time. What we hadn't anticipated was no crowds. Given the way that this is changing every day, the next big risk factor we have then would be autumn 21. You keep hoping and thinking this is going to go away, it's going to be a vaccine, but you know, you can move from problem to problem if you're not careful here, which is, to be honest, you drive you back to the uncertainty of what you're trying to fix it. You know, we tend to look at it, you know, holistically. So, you know, the regions would have aligned risks with us. Their biggest risk is probably the WIU not being able to perform and therefore the WIU not being able to fund them. Yes, they'll have their own local risks, that goes without saying. The biggest risk sits up, you know, at the WIU level and the WIU level's ability to fund the regions and likewise funding the community game. So that's the big risk here. Yeah? It's the consequence of the no crowds that's the is the real question. It's not the crowds themselves. A lot of people in the wider economy are talking about building back better after this COVID pandemic and saying it's almost like a natural break. Have you thought even as far as that of how the WR you could build back better? Well, I think everybody's doing it. Probably just like yourselves, we've all learned new skills. One of the things I've, you know, I've definitely learned is having to go to Dublin for a meeting and spending two days on planes for a two hours meeting. I can't see me rushing to that anytime soon. I've survived all those meetings for the last nine months, so why would I be doing that? But it does, on a serious note, it does you know, make you look at things very differently, whereas you'd have probably walked past them before. One of the things that's really jumped out to me is the flexibility of our staff. Everybody was forced to work from home. Then we were worrying about, you know, IT infrastructure, would broadband hold up? And of course, the whole thing has been pretty seamless, in all fairness. And I think it's a, it's a two-way street. So our staff have been great in understanding the problem, the flexibility, you know, that they, that they brought to the party. We reciprocate because, you know, particularly during the summer, everybody recognises you couldn't go anywhere. You had a job to do, but nobody really cared when you did the job. I mean, the WIU as a standalone can't really influence too much. You know, the WIU has to influence with other unions. So I know that there's a lot of interesting conversations around the Six Nations. Well, how do we avoid this going forward? 
are we managing the risks and how we thought about all these, you know, but the whole thing has made you think about, you know, a raft of problems that, you know, a year ago I would never have dreamt of and probably just like everybody else. And I don't know about yourself, but what's amazed me over the last seven months is probably the realisation just how important community rugby is to communities, not just on the pitch. But, you know, we saw with clubhouses being shut down. That really is, for some areas, the heart, isn't it? Well, this goes to the fundamental concern I have with, with the crowds point, because that's, you know, that's the last thing that I want to be you know, seen to have an impact on. It's not just about the players. You know, the players are super important. The players love it. Don't forget, there's a coaching you know, aspect. You've got the old players want to go and see their old team, and that just becomes off-field banter, you know, and I get plenty of that, I can promise you, you know. And it's, of course, you've got the whole volunteer piece, you know. It, it's the classic, the club is the hub, and, you know, it's one of those things that you don't really know what you've got until you haven't got it anymore. So, you know, the ability of, okay, I'm just going to call the rugby club now, I'm going to see a mate, or I'm going to have a couple of friends, or whatever it is I'm doing, when that's taken away from you, you think, oh, blame you. That was really important to me. You know, you've got the whole kids piece here, you know, well-being, you know, physical fitness, mental. It's a massive, massive, you know, issue for us, which is why, you know, we're trying to keep on top of it. And even if we can get any remotely resembling rugby, whether that be tag or touch, you know, it is what we persevere with. On the pitch stuff, it, it doesn't help, does it, when Wales are kind of going through this pandemic and we want a bit of positive rugby and unfortunately for Pivak and, and, the, and the players, it's just not clicking at the moment. No, listen, it's tough. You know, Wayne and I catch up on this regularly and it's, more, you know, it's definitely lying in the sand. Wayne has a very clear vision. So if you like, Wayne's job is to, you know, is to have a plan. My job is to ensure Wayne has a plan and that I'm comfortable that he can execute the plan. So we do keep on top of all that. Not to be interpreted as excuses, but of course, you know, the French game was, it was a warm-up in recognition that we hadn't played as Wales for a long time. You've got some of your senior players having played for injury, so you know, all that is going to take its toll, but disappointing nonetheless. But line in the sand, it's all about pushing towards what, like, like all countries are doing now. You're part of your World Cup cycle. You know, what does France look into in 23? You know, who will be the players? What are the pairings? What are the combinations? What's your style of play? And, you know, that is probably the way that we will approach the forthcoming one to four matches, you know, with looking then to being at our best for Six Nations, which, of course, is itself a tournament. Wales fans are an expectant group now. They're expecting wins given, you know, Gatlin's record. But your message for them is patience? Absolutely. Wayne does have a plan. It's an exciting plan. It'll hinge on whether we collectively can execute it. listening to the Welsh Rugby Union podcast. Well, let's hear more about that plan now. Wales haven't hit top gear against either France or Scotland, so coach Wayne Pivak's certainly looking for a reaction in Ireland this Friday, picking the same side originally selected to face Scotland, with flanker Justin Tipperick returning from illness. Yeah, look, I don't think uh, we really played a lot of rugby in the last match out. So, and we feel that this uh, is a side that we've picked to take on um, and negate some of Ireland's strengths. So we think uh, we can do that. Justin Tipperick is back. He's obviously an important player for you. Was it too soon for the likes of Ross Moriarty, Josh Navidi? Josh is looking really good. He's looking like he'll be available for next week. So that's pleasing news for us. Ross, uh, unfortunately, just uh, went over on his ankle again during training. So uh, we're not sure whether it'll be another week to two weeks, but uh, we'll just play with that one by ear. What has been the message from the Scotland game, Wayne, since you've all come back in? 
being able to control what's in our control. Obviously, we turned over far too much possession. I think it was 25. On 25 occasions, we gave the ball back through either penalty free kick, turnover at the breakdown, or mistakes in general plays. So certainly against any side or any quality side, you're going to be up against it when you're turning that much possession over. So for us, you know, we don't want to be doing that. We want to give ourselves opportunity to build some phases. That's what we're all about in attack, and we certainly weren't able to do that. So clear messages to go out um, and make sure that we eliminate those mistakes. We have to have good discipline and make sure we play in the right areas of the field. And then, then we really want to express ourselves, which we felt that we didn't do against Scotland. Where you are now with five defeats, this is a new tournament. Is it one that you actually you believe that you can win? Well, certainly, you know, we believe we can win when we take the field against any opposition. The fact that we haven't done that in a series of games now, obviously, is not something that we're comfortable with. We're making sure that we work very, very hard and we're trying to eliminate the errors in our game which are putting us under pressure. Certainly, this tournament is a fresh opportunity. We've talked about that. It's one that we're looking forward to. And Ireland away, you know, a stiff challenge first up, no better challenge really to see uh, how much uh, ground we've made and the improvements we've made over the space of two weeks. When you lose, Wayne, and, and obviously you've had an upheaval this week with the departure of Bayou and Hayward, a lot of external noise comes around, talk about players not being happy. As somebody inside the camp, what is the mood like and what would you say to those sort of outside accusations? Certainly the, uh, the group has trained very, very well. It's probably been a massive step up from where we've been. Uh, and when these sorts of things that you've mentioned happen, you'd expect a response. And we've certainly seen that in training. Just the volume, the intensity in the session is really stepped up and uh, that's a positive sign for us. And just maybe a word on some of the milestones, if you don't mind, Wayne. Uh, 50th cap for Thomas Francis and a possible 100th uh, cap for George North if he comes off the bench. Yeah, and uh, I believe this is uh, the opposition is, was the first test for Thomas um, way back when he started his, his test career. And I think George... Uh, is probably to the day, I think. Um, it's 10 years since he played his first Test match. So, yeah, some interesting little milestones. And you've selected Callum Sheedy on the bench. He could be making his debut if he comes off. What was the thinking behind that? Well, twofold, really. He has trained very, very well. We were going to include him in matches at some stage. And uh, obviously, with Rhys Patchell taking a knock, the opportunity has, has come right now. But we believe that he's ready to take on the opportunity regardless. As I say, he's trained very, very well and has impressed everybody, both with the ball and without the ball. His communication, uh, his game management looks to be uh, spot on. So we're really looking forward to him getting some game time and seeing how he goes. Over the, the course of your, your reign so far, have we seen what you would describe as a performance from a Wayne Pivak team? Have, have they been able to produce and, and implement everything that you've wanted in any of the games since you took over? In fits and starts, I think there were some positive signs in the Italian game. In attack, there were positive signs in the French game and there were positive signs in the England game. So pre-COVID lockdown, we were very pleased that we're heading in the right direction. Post-COVID, as I mentioned the other day, we haven't been as happy. Clearly, we've come out and, uh, and you know, some players in better shape than others. We're working hard to rectify that. But uh, getting everyone on the same page is, is certainly what we're trying to do over, over this campaign and make sure that you can see uh, and we can see the improvements necessary. Let's hope we all do. One player who's suddenly become important to that is flanker Shane Lewis-Hughes. Impressive on debut against Scotland and someone who Alan Wynne-Jones, no less, sees as a bit of a kindred spirit. So what did he make of his debut? Big step up to international rugby, a mixture of emotions going into that game. But yeah, it was disappointing enough to obviously get the win on the debut and um, for Al as well on such a big occasion, but just losing to 
Scotland at home is it's not it's not something that we that any team wants to do. So but that's the bed now we put that to bed. We're focusing on a on a new tournament now and um, that starts with Ireland on Friday. And not much of bigger test really for you as a, as a young six coming up against Peter Omani. What are you expecting there? To be honest, I, I don't really look into it as much as, as that. Like obviously he's achieved a lot in the game and I'd be silly to say any different, but I just focus on myself and I know what I can do and I know how good I am. So I never believe anyone's better than me. And if I did, then I shouldn't be playing. So yeah, I can't wait for that. Alan Wynn as well, being the captain. Are you like that? Do you want to win? You sound like you're a competitive guy. What's your yeah. character like? Yeah, I'm uh, quite obsessive with winning, to be honest with you. I'm, <laughs> I'm probably not the best person to be around when things ain't going well or no, I want to win. I want everybody to win all the time. It's something that I've always had in me. I've got a just a burning desire to go up there and win and be the best. And um, I see I see that now when every time that I said the other day, the first day I came here, I seen it. He sets the tone early and he says, this is our expectations. This is what we got to meet. If you're not willing to do that, then there's no place for you in the team. And I love being around that stuff. When did you go into just a bit more detail about that relationship with Alan Wynn? Because the world's most capped player, Wayne's talked about him taking you under his wing. That must be pretty special. No, it is. He's uh, he's a good guy to be around now. And I really like being around people like that. I like being around like like people who share the same sort of mindset and, and, and belief and, and that drive to always get better no matter what. If you've had a blinder on the weekend or if you've played really poor, it's always that want to get better. And like I said, that's something I've had since I was very little. And to see someone like Al bring it every day, you know, there's no coincidences here that he's the most cat player of all time. It's because of that drive to get better every single day. And that's not something someone can teach you. You can get taught to be a better better rugby player, but what you can't teach is a mindset. You either got that or you haven't. And by God, has he got that. Have you been pleasantly surprised by just how much time that you've been able to have with him? Um, yeah, no, he's, he's, a, he's a very, like I said, he's a, he's a good bloke. He will, make, he will make time for you, but when he's on the training pitch, he's, he's serious about what he does and, there's no messing about them. And that's and like I said, that's what I love. That's the environment I love being in. I love being in an environment where it's where it's on the edge, where everyone's on the edge, where everyone's pushing each other to get better. And that's and ultimately that's how you do get better. You know, it's no good coming into training with just a mediocre mindset. Everyone's pushing each other, everyone's fighting for a position and everyone's ultimately fighting to get a result on the weekend. You've obviously taken a lot from it. I was just wondering if there was one thing you could highlight, that one moment where you you thought I'll be a better player, I'll be a better squad member because of that one thing I've learned from him. It's nothing I can really put my finger on. Really, it's just the mindset to come in every day and get better. That's what he talks about. He says every time he crosses the whitewash, is an opportunity to get better, and, and you can see and you can see that in him. You can see that in his eyes, his intensity in training. He's one of the first on the paddock and the last to come off it, and it's it's inspiring. And it makes me feel quite normal, really, seeing him train. Because, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's brilliant. It's brilliant to be around. He's, um, he deserves everything he gets some more. There seems some admirable qualities of rubbing off there. Hard work to earn some confidence. So that's it for this week's Welsh Rugby Union podcast. Much more reaction next week, of course. But until then, goodbye and stay safe.